Welcome to Health Impressions, the show about authority, acquisition, and retention. I'm your co-host, Brian Cush, co-founder of Title Health Group, a digital marketing agency specializing in healthcare. I'm accompanied by Jay Parkinson, Chief Medical Officer of SANA, a health plan that delivers high-quality healthcare while keeping costs down. Our show focuses on the cross-sections of marketing, patient experience, and product development. We explore strategies for providing high-quality care, enhancing patient experience, and retention through cutting-edge technologies. We'll be speaking with like-minded industry leaders who will be sharing their learnings and spilling some secrets, too. Terry, so great to have you here. Really excited about this conversation. Um, you have some really unique transformational brand, brand strategy backgrounds. Uh, love to just dive, dive right into it. And how do you start to even begin to think about understanding care journeys? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, so the way I look at care journeys and just any patient journeys, but really any journey is I really look at the, what the emotional journey is. So at White Rhino, uh, our background is in neuroscience and psychology and looking at human behavior and how, how do people make decisions. And a lot of the frameworks that we use are actually based off of health journeys, how patients decide to quit smoking, for example. And what are the emotional and cognitive journeys that they go through? What are their informational needs? But really importantly, what are their emotional needs along the way? And, and we have some frameworks that we use to look at that. And, and so I like to really think, make sure that we're thinking about both sides of that. I think as uh, in the healthcare space, especially from a clinician standpoint, there's this need to get a lot of information, cognitive information in front of a patient, help them make decisions about their health, about their treatment plans. And we can't lose sight of the fact of how emotional that journey is. We work with a lot of brands inside and outside of healthcare, and there's no more emotional journey than a healthcare journey. It's it's very personal, very emotional. And uh, we have to make sure we're not losing losing sight of that piece of it. Is there a rational starting point? I mean, you mentioned this moment of the doctor trying to give so much information. Do you start there and then spiral in many different directions to really understand what's being received? Or is there a different entry point? Yeah, I, I think interestingly, the journeys are, they're not linear. We like to think about them in a linear way as marketers because it helps us put a framework together and how we address the different stages of the journey. Uh, but patients come in and out of the journey and have different needs in different moments. But I think when if if we start from that sort of center point of a doctor visit, uh, yes, definitely there's a lot of things that lead up to that moment. There's a lot that goes on in that moment. And I think what's interesting is um, we spend a lot of time as healthcare marketers thinking about all that before and also the things leading up to, I see less focus often, unfortunately, on what happens after that visit. And um, think about that visit itself. Um, often patients are being shared news from their doctor that maybe they they know that they're in store for some bad news, or um, but it's, it's pretty emotional to be in that doctor's visit. And it's really hard if you're in that emotional state to um, to really take in information. So as much as the doctor wants to uh, get out some cognitive information, what are some treatment options? 
uh, that you should consider and helping you understand the, the, the risks of maybe a procedure. It's really hard for a patient, not just to take that in, but then to even remember that afterwards. So I do like to always kind of ask, how can we uh, reinforce uh, information after the patient visit? How can we support patients both uh, cognitively, but also emotionally uh, throughout the journey, not just leading up to the doctor visit, but afterwards? Yeah, you have a lot of experience in this too. And I think in our kind of pre-interview, you reference the percentage of information or that often is lost or not translated at that moment of care. Was there a baseline in that? Yeah, I think it's that's that's an interesting question because the research that I've read is that about 85% of things that's said in an oral conversation between doctors and patients in an exam room are forgotten by the patient. So the way I phrase that as a doctor is I, I'm kind of 15% good at communicating. You know, and it's pretty wild to think about any job, you know, that's 15% good at what they do in terms of like transmitting information is, uh, it's pretty sad. So I really get excited about thinking around, you know, how do you, um, how do you really uh, communicate with the patient afterwards? Because it is a very human to human conversation that you're having with the patient at the time. But then you really want to like, you know, send them almost like a transcript or, of the conversation and a summary of the conversation that, that they can understand. And then also allow them to like read that and then answer or ask questions uh, after the fact. Well, I was gonna say, Jay, I think you raised a good point about the, the emotion of the communication itself. And there's, there's so many modes of communication too. Right. And um, the most human in the most relatable conversation is a face-to-face conversation. And again, as a, as a healthcare marketer, uh, you don't have the option to have that human face-to-face conversation that's happening with the doctor in that moment in the office. Uh, But then we're left with um, email communications and transcripts and, um, and taking into account how can those mediums, um, still have that level of connection with patients that sometimes is only you can only have with that human to human conversation. And so how do we how do we adapt um, or what choices do we make in, you know, if, if only 15 percent of our message is getting through, let's make sure that that medium that we're using is uh, is the most effective one possible. How do you approach the doctor to that equation? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that not everyone's as open-minded as Jay as a provider to go, well, I'm okay knowing that there's a level of inefficiency in my communication. I, it sounds like there's even a factor or a buy-in that uh, needs to be understood in the provider standpoint of this care journey. Do you want to take that one, Jay? Yeah, I'm going to answer this in a roundabout way. It was funny. Um, a couple, I don't know, two months ago, I was at the uh, brewery just right across the lake. And I was uh, in line, um, ended up talking to the guy and, you know, he's like, oh, I work for this company. Uh, it's a nonprofit that, that teaches doctors how to um, talk, you know, empathetically. And I just thought that was like such a cool idea. And, you know, it's they contract with hospitals and then doctors take courses around like, well, how to communicate hard things. Because, I mean, I went through medical school. I never got any of that training. They left it up to my you know, personality, uh, to make that exceptional. Uh, and you know, some doctors are great at it and some doctors, uh, as we all know, uh, leave much to be desired. So I think there's a lot of opportunity and, you know, um, 
things like this company, and I forgot the name, I'd have to look it up, um, in helping doctors, you know, learn. Uh, because it's a skill. I mean, in in anything in life, like, you know, communicating with your spouse, communicating with your, your best friend, your colleagues, like, how do you have hard conversations? Uh, it's just really not taught in medical school. And I think that's an opportunity um, to help fill in some of those gaps, right? To think about all the touch points that we have with patients. Uh, it's the doctor, but it's also the the staff that checked in that patient. It's the nurse who showed them to their room. Um, there's all those interactions. And then, of, of course, they add the after visit information, everything leading up to that. And it's really that partnership across those different touch points. And, uh, and it also depends on the patient preferences, right? Some patients, and depending on the situation they're in, um, they may want a doctor who's just more like straight. Here's the facts. Here's, here's how it is. They may not need those over the top bedside manners for certain uh, things that they're going through. Um, and that may, that may vary based off of the condition the patient has um, and the tr- decision they have to make, or it may just be based off of their preferences. So there's also a piece and I'm, I'm sure in those trainings um, that organizations do with doctors, right? They're, they're helping the doctor understand from the patient perspective, what, what the patient needs. And that's going to be different from one patient to the next. Some patients want a lot of involvement in their care and shared decision-making. And, and they want to know about the journey that they're going to be on. And some, some patients uh, just want to know what to do and, and they're going to have a lot of blind uh, trust in, in their doctor and, and what they're being told to do. And so understanding uh, what those patient communication preferences are uh, is important both for the doctor and then, when we think about implementing uh, patient care journeys, both before and after the doctor visit, how as marketers are we adjusting our communications to address those different personalities that and preferences that patients have? How do you begin to tackle then? Do you look at a baseline of the number of kind of patient profiles that you would create? And then is it is it this ever evolving process to where you want to get to there's a single profile for every patient or is there a threshold that you bottom out? Like, how do you think about that? I like to think about it. Uh, there is a, it's almost this curve, right? And um, where if you're not personalized at all, um, everybody's getting the same message. You're not having a lot of impact. And then on kind of, on the opposite end, you could be doing a lot of personalization um, and you could be having a lot of impact, but the cost is really high. So there's a balance of what's that sweet spot to your point of how much you tailor your communication to different personas, how far you go in your segmentation and your targeting. Uh, so for instance, uh, we work with a children's hospital and we work on personalization on their website to help support patients in their care journey. And we will profile patients based off of where they might be in their care journey. We'll profile them based off of their location, based off of the specialty they're interested in. Um, But then when we get in maybe a little, a layer deeper than that, and we say, well, should we also personalize um, maybe based off of not just what I'll give you maybe an obvious example, not just what region they're in, but if we get down to the city level, um, 
we're kind of constantly evaluating, well, what's the value of personalizing content at a more granular level? Um, and as marketers, we do have to balance that, right? Like you start to, the return on your investment of that personalization starts to waver a little bit. So it is a balancing act of not over tailoring things, but finding the, finding the right balance. You know, it's funny. Um, I have a dog, right? And so you have to take them to the vet every once in a while. And every time I go, it's, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm the patient, right? So I was a pediatrician. And so like, you know, I'm like the equivalent of the mom in the room, right? Uh, with a sick kid, you know? And it's so funny because I have, after they explain things to me, uh, you know, I often have to kind of like interrupt, unfortunately, in like 15 seconds in and be like, I'm a doctor. I understand like these principles. So like, talk to me like I'm almost a colleague, you know what I'm saying? And so some of the things that we're doing um, uh, and in our practice is, uh, you know, using like chat GPT, like uh, features to uh, explain things. Like if someone has an issue, well, and they're not so, you know, medically savvy you can say you know hey explain this condition to this person like she's in third grade but if i'm working with somebody like you know like me at a vet right explain to this person you know what this condition is as if they have a master's in the in the concept right and so it's a really interesting you know opportunity to think about um using like ai to personalize uh how we communicate that of course depends on the interaction that you have uh, with the patient and the modes of communication, if you can uh, have that sort of like email or messaging, uh, you know, mode of communication, not just oral conversations in exam rooms. Yeah, there's so much opportunity uh, with all the advancements that are coming out with technology, uh, with ChatGPT, the way that websites are structured with more headless and modular uh, approaches to how we serve up content and there's this concept that uh, really every patient could have a unique experience uh, with your brand at any point in that journey if we use the data uh, and, and we take those signals right and and we identify what are the signals that help us understand what their preferences are uh, what's their level of education um, how do they prefer uh, to think about their health care? What's their relationship with their doctor? And the more we can take in those signals, we can actually, uh, in a very cool way, use ChatGPT, use other technology to have those tailored experiences where it used to be, right, before the emergence of ChatGPT, that you'd have to custom craft all of those different variations. So in a lot of ways, AI is, you know, when we talk about that balancing act between uh, personalization, you know, not personalizing in too much detail because it can be a lot of work and doesn't return a lot of value. AI really opens up the opportunity that uh, we can accomplish a lot more. We can get a lot more uh, personal um, with with a little less effort because we've got the AI helping and supporting us to to drive that, which is exciting for me to to see how far we can really take it. Is that now kind of the uh, the kind of pot at the end of the rainbow? It was always the singular personalization, and it sounded like cost was this huge hurdle. Are you seeing that like that hurdle is basically being removed, and you're you're still now able to race towards the single personalization? I think yes and no. Um, I, I think you're right. The um, the challenge has shifted. The challenge used to be cost to do this. I think now, to your point, it uh, 
uh, it's really easy to personalize content. Um, but now the challenge is on a, on a different level in terms of making sure that that communication is authentic uh, and true, right? There's always a risk with using AI and using technology to power those communications. And, and so the, the challenge is just sort of flipped to, to, to on a different, different level. And, and that introduces a new level of, of, of cost and effort to the equation, right? We have to be really conscious about what we're feeding into these AI models and right. The, the output is only good as the input and, and anybody that's experimented with chat GPT and just asked it a few questions or, or played around with it knows that it, it really is the quality of the input. So, you know, what are we training it to do? What are we guiding it to do? How are we asking it to interact with patients um, if, if we're using it to power some of those communications? If you looked at kind of the full scope of what could be a patient kind of care journey, is there a piece of it that you would focus on first in improving the, the, impersonal, the personalization? Hmm. I'm going to think about that and ask Jay if he has a thought on that first. To me, it, it kind of goes back to that, you know, well, I'm 15% good at communicating. If if I'm 15% good at communicating, that means the lowest hanging fruit is like the ability for them to 100% understand what I just said and to remember. So I would probably focus on that post-clinical, that, that you know, that post-visit uh, uh, communication um, in a way that, you know, helps them understand, you know, literally everything I just said. Yeah, I think... I think building on that, uh, if there's a sort of brainstorming here, if there's an opportunity for right AI to be there in, and there are tools out there, right. But AI in the doctor's office, um, helping with getting that information into the electronic medical record. Um, but if it can help shepherd that information after, you know, take that information that was delivered in the visit that the patient may not have, been in an emotional state to really hear it all, but it was said, and, and there's information there. The doctor shared information. You could use AI to make sure that that information gets repackaged and communicated and emphasized with the patient. You could, there's probably ways you could check their understanding of that information. Uh, you can offer e easily help them find related information. You could help them know what questions to ask. Um, I think that's really a great um, use I've seen of chat GPT is um, just, yeah, asking, you know, what are some common questions somebody might ask in this situation? Um, so maybe, and I think that's, that's low risk too, helping a patient know what questions to ask because you're not giving them answers. And that's the fear is that in the healthcare space, the AI is going to give the wrong answers, right? There's potentially misinformation that it's been it's been fed, or if it doesn't really fully understand the co right context, maybe it's going to give a wrong answer. But if you um, if you're asking it to do tasks that are not about giving answers, but are to help people sort of think through and grapple with something, um, I think that's a safer safer route sometimes in these early stages of of using AI until we have more confidence in the level of credibility of the of the information are you almost taking a vote then for the pre-delivery as an area of focus as well i would i would think if you want the patient to understand and be primed to ask the right questions to improve the amount is there then even a pre-care delivery side of ed educating the patient on how to better communicate with clinicians 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think clinicians would love that too, right? They only have a limited amount of time with a patient. And if they know that patient has come in with um, either a baseline understanding or they're very clear on the questions they want to ask, it's going to make for a higher quality conversation on, on both sides. So, uh, so yes, I think it's, it's a lot, you know, prior to the, to the patient visit. Um, I also wonder, are there opportunities in that patient visit uh, to just help with that, that mutual communication? It's the same way someone might take a translation app uh, if they're traveling in another country and in that moment, be able to, you know, have it give you some information so you can understand what's going on. Are there opportunities that even in the office visit that the patient can, you know, see questions and the doctor can maybe go through those questions with them and say, yeah, here are some common questions. And maybe the doctor knows that those questions have been tailored to this particular patient because we customize that chat bot in the patient portal to that patient. Um, but then it carries through after the visit, right? It's uh, healthcare is not a singular moment ever. It's, uh, it's ongoing and it's, you know, it starts from uh, the moment you start to feel symptoms and then it, it's, it's ongoing and repeat. And um, so, yeah, how do we foster that throughout? You know, it's so interesting. You, you're talking a lot about the visit because that is the thing that is leveraged uh, between doctors and patients. And, you know, what I find really fascinating is all these like new care models that are happening online that don't you know, mandate that there's a visit where everything has to be gotten, you know, done. Right. And so there's this more sort of ongoing relationship that you have with the patient. And then you call that oral conversation via video or in person um, to have those, uh, you know, certain elements of the conversation. But I always like to think of health as like stories that happen over a story that happens over time, you know, and that's really how a patient experiences their health issue. Um, and it's just that, you know, I've always thought of it as like the tyranny of the visit, because if you don't have to have an oral conversation in an exam room, you can use AI and you can be an amazingly effective communicator. And it's just, we have to be, I think, vocal around, you know, we need more sort of billing codes, for example, for uh, different types of visits, not just real-time oral conversations via video or office. And I think that uh, there, in there lies a challenge and an opportunity uh, in, in the sense, when you talk about the, the patient, it's a story for the patient, right? It's it's not a moment in time, but it's it's a moment that's part of a bigger story. And as we have decreased interactions with those patients, decreased in-person interactions, more virtual or or asynchronous, uh, how does that um, impact the ability for us to make that human connection? And, and how might, when they do have an interaction with a doctor, how do we make sure the doctor understands that whole story in a, in a, in a quick way, understands the, the most salient points um, about that patient's history. I mean, it's been a longstanding challenge, right? In healthcare is you feel like, feel like every year when I visit my primary care, I'm re-giving my medical history, right? My whole history. Um, and if I've just given that information once and we can use AI to help the doctor know which pieces of that are most relevant to the conversation at hand or just most important to me, maybe emotionally, right? That can give a lot of context. And I think there's a lot of opportunity in that as well. 
when you speak to your healthcare clients, are they leading this conversation? Like AI, like we've been focused on it here, but it's it's much more nascent just in probably your experience and this industry's experience. Are, are you, do you find yourself leading this conversation of uh, deconstructing the care delivery model or are your, are your clients there as a partner? Are they pushing the conversation? What does that dynamic look like? Uh, I, I see a lot of curiosity uh, from our clients, for sure, uh, and interest in, in what does this mean. Um, I see more more experimentation and active, I guess, proactive looking at this from other industries, not healthcare. I think I see a lot of clients in healthcare sort of a little bit waiting to see how things pan out and, and, and for good reason. Again, it's it's much more sensitive when we're talking about um, healthcare data. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be an ongoing growing conversation. It's going to continue to accelerate. Um, I don't know, Jay, what, what have you seen in your experience? You know, I'm always thinking healthcare is like 20 years behind the times, right? Which is like both sad, but awesome, you know, because you can basically, you know, you can predict how things are going to pan out. You know, I've always like been inspired by other industries and brought it to healthcare. And I just think it happens eventually in healthcare. It just takes a long time. So, you know, it's interesting to think about like right now, what industry has been impacted the most by AI. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of almost a toy. It's at the toy stage right now, it seems like, you know, and it's just getting started to be like, oh, this is practical and useful and you know, the genius of ChatGPT was like, I can show it to my dad. And he was like, wow, within 30 seconds, you know, and it's like, oh, that's cool. But I think that's almost like where we are right now. And it's hard to say like that an industry has been significantly impacted already. Um, so I'd probably be in that same boat of like, I want to see an industry be kind of almost disrupted and then see, oh, what did it do to that industry? And how can we like think about that in healthcare? It's such a new medium and platform for all of us. I think none of us know exactly what the possibilities are. Um, and what I found is just experimenting with it and starting to see what it can do starts to open up the possibilities. Um, and so one thing that I've seen successful, not as much in healthcare, but I've seen in other industries that is very applicable in healthcare is using ChatGPT for social media writing. And uh, saying, for instance, you know, it's it's National Breast Cancer Awareness Month and we have maybe a patient who had this condition and we want to bring attention to this. And and you can um, have a, a great uh, a colleague that I work with who always says, say it ugly. Um, and then as communicators, we, we we help our clients clean it up. Well, that's kind of the method I use with them. Um, with chat GPT is I just say it ugly. I say, I'm kind of looking for this. What, you know, if you said something like this and it doesn't give you a perfect response, you still need someone to evaluate that. And, and if you haven't created a custom model for your brand and your brand tone, then you definitely need to evaluate it. Um, but it, it can give you some great inspiration, great ideas. It's almost like a research assistant. Someone was saying to me, um, you know, you can, you can ask the same question of Google and chat GPT and it could take you probably an hour on Google to get to the same level of answer that you would get to in a few seconds with ChatGPT. So it just, it accelerates our ability to 
find inspiration. Um, and I think always my advice is to make sure that you you really are using that as inspiration and you're still applying originality to that, applying your brand personality, your brand tone uh, to, so that it's authentic. Because if there's one industry where we need to make sure these communications remain 100% authentic, it's in healthcare, right? We're never going to have a robotic um, uh, avatar uh, fake a patient video, right? You're always going to need real authentic patient videos online. So there's in healthcare, there's just a level of we have to maintain that authenticity. Well, I'm always just intrigued by how, um, you know, there's like kind of the real world of healthcare, which is like AI is probably going to be first used in like a cat and mouse game between providers and insurers to like maximize billing and then minimize billing and then sort of, you know, um, that kind of thing. But then there's other little pockets of healthcare that are doing things primarily online. And like, you know, they're the ones that are kind of going to be leading the charges to show like, you know, how healthcare can be improved and how communication in healthcare can be improved via AI. And that's, you know, always to me, like cutting edge and most interesting and that stuff's happening now. So, you know, um, just always got to keep your eye on these little utopias of healthcare, these little pockets of healthcare that kind of operate differently than the status quo. Going back to your example of, you know, there's these companies that will train doctors on how to communicate with patients. Uh, one thought that's crossed my mind is how might we leverage AI as a training tool and that AI could model what a healthy conversation between a patient and doctor looks and feels like, and doctors could test it out, right? Test out a conversation with ChatGPT and see how the, you know, fictitious patient in that case might react and 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 get in some skills and and the the AI can suggest to the doctor you might want to reframe uh, how you say that in this way and what if you said it like that and um I think there's a a lot of opportunity for us to learn from the AI because it's modeling what good communication looks like. Yeah, I think that's always a concern too. You touched on an interesting point that like from a social media use is the, the, the value we've always seen, at least in a small nascent testing is exactly what you mentioned is inputting kind of like the brand tone, the brand control, like what are these pillars and fundamentals around your position? And the difficulty in healthcare is that it's, it's evolving in that sense as well. Like one of the things we always talked about early on was uh, when kind of COVID came into our ecosystem, there was this wave of search for information online that was kind of ubiquitous to every category. It was like every medical specialty and COVID. So there's no way to be able to create an AI that can immediately ingest and pivot that quickly as well. So I'm always of that, like there's going to be this massive human component around, especially around healthcare. For me, it's always seen as the largest category of search and some double digit percentage of search that happened today didn't happen yesterday. So there's always gonna have to be like, how do we most efficiently use our time to create kind of a basis of knowledge, but then add your level of expertise or authority on top of that. Yeah, it goes back to that same challenge of tailoring communications to an audience, right? And how personalized do you get? Um, it's same thing, if, if you're just using the the generic chat GPT model to, to write copy or to, to help with, you know, writing in some fashion, um, you're going to get pretty generic results. Uh, but if you 
create a local copy um, when you get some security and privacy and, and now anything that you're feeding to it is, is private to you, but also you're, you're training it to be more specific. It becomes a more um, like you would train an employee, right? You, you've trained it on your process, your brand, your, what you, your expectations are from a communication standpoint. Um, and I'm sure there'll be a day where we can, automate some of that and some of the AI will train itself. But I think we're ways off from you really need humans, right? You need that human touch, someone thinking through what do we want to train this model on um, to produce a better quality communication and to test that, right? And to test and make sure it's coming out with the output that you want. Um, But there's a real opportunity that um, you you don't have to just use the generic version. I think increasingly we're going to see brands uh, creating their own custom models. We've experimented with some of those. We will drop a message matrix into um, a custom model of ChatGPT so that it creates more tailored results that aligns with the brand strategy that we've created. Yeah, I'm curious to circle back around. I think we opened up, might have been the first line you said was you're really trying to distill the emotional or emotions uh, that you feel a patient's experiencing through their care journey. We then sort of walk towards this modeling system. How do we think about either inputting or even extracting emotions from a predictive model? So uh, I think the first thing to think about is it's um, it's actually a very human process. So uh, as humans, the way we make sense of the world and survive is that we classify things that we see, like even the fact that visually, right, this is where some of the neuroscience comes in. Visually, I'm able to see see you, see my computer screen, see what's in my office, uh, because my brain is taking all of these inputs and cr- creating a concept out of those. So I know my microphone is my microphone um, because I've noticed those patterns, but it's not really there in the way that our, our brains are turning into a concept. And um, it's the same with understanding emotion. And that's where the psychology comes into play. Psychology is about sort of deconstructing those signals um, and creating frameworks and underst- uh, and creating concept models of what does it mean to be happy or what does it mean to be sad, which, by the way, it's very interesting as you look at different cultures around the world certain things that we might associate with happiness um, in the United States in other regions of the world, you know, certain um, actions, right? Uh, facial expressions may not be associated in the same way. Um, and, but yeah, essentially it's about looking, looking at the emotions that someone's having and, and the words that they're using to describe that emotion. So when we're trying to understand a journey of a particular patient and what's what's the emotion driving them, we'll ask a lot of we'll talk to them directly and we ask a lot of questions about what their experience is and and it's the words that they use that are important and then it's sort of deconstructing those words and tying it back to some of these psychological frameworks so um, that we know that they're expressing a, a certain emotion. Uh, so for instance, one thing we look a lot at is um, uh, donors in the healthcare space. And what is it that drives the decision for someone to donate? Uh, and one of the prime emotions we found is this concept of hope. Um, and that's a, a universal emotion in, in many ways. And um, there, 
people are donating to a, a hospital to create that hope for others and, and there's a real emotional connection there so there's ways that you can you can deconstruct it and so anytime we can break down and, and create these models those are those are things we can uh, teach to an AI model I think what's interesting though is that the AI models the way especially ChatGPT has been developed you don't always have to tell it the whole framework um, it's actually better to share. We've learned share with it examples of here's here's what's good, here's what's bad, and it it just learns naturally through that through that experience. Uh, but there is sometimes some benefits to say, uh, you know, here's here's what the emotion of hope means, and um, here's how we would think about that. Here's some examples of hope. Here's some examples not of hope. And then you go and ask it. Okay, now write a social media post that. Uh, is tailored to somebody to help them, you know, donate to a hospital. And, uh, you know, that hope is a key driver th for them. It's now going to write a, a, a smarter message or a, maybe a more emotional message uh, because we've taken some time to train it on some of those frameworks we've broken down. That's a really interesting framing. So you, you feel that it is able to kind of expand the emotional state or value. So there is this kind of litmus to go. We have this body of communications that we sent some letters out and the response rate was better and it, it, it triggered that feeling of hope so i'm going to feed the model with this it understands that kind of this passed the test at least from your analysis then just injecting the statement of increase the feeling of hope that this content has it has the ability to even impress enough that you would recognizably improve it yeah, I, in my experience, um, it's it's pretty well trained. I, it's just the vast amount of information it's been trained on. I've been impressed with sort of sometimes it's more well tuned to having a quality conversation than I sometimes have with another human being. I, I think it's it's actually it's pretty smart. But um, just like if I were to ask you, you know, write me a, a social media post uh, that get somebody to, you know, donate because they feel a sense of hope, you'd ask, you'd like, well, tell me more about what you mean by hope, right? And so if we if we think about it as a, a colleague, a partner, uh, and we have good inputs and conversations with the AI model to say, here's what we're looking for, here's what we mean by this, uh, because also recognizing that it's been trained on a global data set. So its definition of hope may be different from ours. Uh, so making sure that we're we're communicating and, and letting it know uh, sort of how we're, we think, and then it, it can adapt pretty quickly. And I've been impressed with how quickly it adapts. It's, it's mind-blowingly cool, but you have to, you have to have that constant feedback loop. Uh, you have to also be able to know how to train it when it's off the mark and know how to give it good feedback to explain why that's off the mark just the way that you would, you know, teach, teach another human being about what good communication would be. Yeah. So do you have any predictions for this space or maybe directions that you're hopeful that this goes into? Maybe less a prediction. Uh, well, no, this is a good, okay. It's a prediction. I think increasingly authenticity is going to be really important. Um, and so how do we know that there is an authentic human intent behind something that was created by an AI model? 
um, how do we know that's producing the authentic connection that we want? Um, I think there's, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, this gets applied in a marketing sense, because uh, I think there's going to be an increased value actually placed on truly original ideas, creative ideas and information. Um, I also think there's going to be a need to better track um, copyright, if you will, creative copyright, um, because as it sits right now, there's lots of marketers just using the blanket version of ChatGPT, and they're all feeding different brand values into it. Uh, people are using tools like, right, like MidJourney uh, to create creative, and that's all open for the models to learn and, and to share those ideas with others. And I think that's a great opportunity, right? The more we can inspire each other, but how do we make sure that artist or that copywriter or that brand gets credit for what would, was an original idea that then just got fed into a model and was extrapolated into new things. And I think that'll be an interesting thing to gauge is how that all gets tracked and uh, traced back uh, so that those authentic ideas and that authentic creativity uh, is, is continues to be valued because that's what's going to keep us growing as a, I think as a race to the human race to, keep the more creative we become the 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 more we're going to flourish and um if creativity isn't valued then what are we doing right and then the ai can just take over the world so <laughs> well this is a perfect story arc there's a very nice hopeful cherry right on the top then <laughs> under this cake so <sighs> no we really appreciate your time it's a, a fun conversation and uh yeah i always it gets my head spinning and thinking in many different directions. I'm curious, Jay, what's your biggest hope for AI? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I'm personally a little biased uh, and I have a little vested interest in like, you know, um, helping doctors communicate. So that's, that's kind of like where I uh, get most excited. Um, but in terms of like the rest of the world, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little... I'm still on the fence about like, it's, you know, it's, it's true value. Um, I'm really interested in like the creativity side of things. Um, because it's like, uh, I, I read this, this art this book that Lawrence Lessig wrote, I think it's called code or something like that is probably 20 years ago. And it was kind of like an overview of like copyright, the history of copyright in America. And it was really interesting because, um, you know, the, the, the 1980s, 19, early 1990s, like rap songs were all samples. You know, it was all sampling each other, sampling old songs. And like those samples would like go throughout the entire song. And now because like, you know, the people that are being, being sampled were not, you know, credited um, and, and rewarded financially, uh, you know, a lot of lawsuits happen. And now you can't sample more than like three seconds or something like that. And it's been really interesting because like the genre of that particular type of music has just basically kind of, you know, it, it's, it's not as like unique and interesting, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, what you were talking about. I thought that was super fascinating around, you know, um, what is the sort of, is it a, it is, a, is it a societal creativity, you know, and are people going to be upset that like, Oh, the work that I'm putting into it is like, benefiting society and not me, you know? Um, 
it's going to be really interesting. I mean, like I said, I think it's in that certain, that, that early, you know, uh, period of time. That's like, it's still almost a toy and I still don't know what it's going to do. But at the same time, I also feel like it's equivalent to the iPhone and, and unlocking a lot of stuff. And I just like, you know, every, <laughs> I've always heard that, you know, the second you call yourself a futurist is like the second you admit you're wrong. You know, so like I always just kind of like, you know, step back and, and just kind of watch things rather than try to predict. So I don't know. Long-winded answer. Um, of, I don't know, but I'm super curious. Well, we appreciate the time, Terry. Uh, it's a fantastic kind of thought-provoking conversation that I knew would happen. It's, uh, it's fun to be here. I could talk all day about this stuff. So <laughs> anytime. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Health Impressions, Authority, Acquisition, Retention. We hope you found the conversation insightful and thought-provoking. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave us a review. Your feedback will only help us improve the show. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us on social media or you can send us an email at media at titlehealthgroup.com. T-I-D-A-L healthgroup.com. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep pushing the boundaries of your knowledge. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you again soon.